Well, listen, I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 54. We have a single verse as our text this morning. Um, and as you're doing that, I want you to consider the Marvel movies for a moment. Um, Marvel has done quite a bit of business, evidently, around the world. People seem to really like these movies. And when you think about the word Marvel, like what you marvel at um, is what you wonder at, what you're paying attention to. I want to turn the idea of marvel and what's, what you marvel at, and I want to sort of turn it inward for a second. This is from a prayer book that I've quoted from quite a bit because I read from it quite a bit. Uh, it's an old Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. And here's what one of the prayers I read this last week was, I marvel at my insensate folly that with such enriching favors within my reach, I am slow to extend the hand to take them. I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like this. You probably didn't use this exact language. But I bet you've had this sentiment before. That you've maybe been with other believers. You've been singing. You've been hearing from God through the word. You've had an experience. And you thought, why do I not take hold of this more often? This is ever within my reach. This is always around me. And yet I marvel that I don't reach for it more often. We have a little tradition here at Neighborhood Bible Church, and that is this. We begin the year, most every year, in some way, shape, or form, we begin the year with a call, with a challenge, with a joyful command to commit ourselves to the Word of God which keeps us. Seems fitting that Neighborhood Bible Church would do that. So what we're going to do in one short sermon today is actually expanded into a four-part series. Last year, we decided let's just do a whole month of this. And so there's a series that lives on, uh, on our website called Everyday Bible. And the whole idea behind Everyday Bible, in fact, the concern with that series was this, to see and to celebrate that the Bible is intensely readable and that the Bible is perfectly reliable. So we looked at the readability of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible. This year, we begin with this concern, that you may know God and grow in learning to trust Him. I put the word learning to trust It's a little hard to see, and that's okay. That's sort of part of the message. Learning to trust, because it's not like we learn to trust God, and then it's over. Trust is an ongoing thing. I pray that year by year, I would look and say, I am learning to trust God more and more each year. You know, each time I instruct people to read their Bible, or pray, or attend church, or join a community group... Um, I run the risk of being misunderstood. Whenever a pastor or someone from this kind of leadership position says, pray, read your Bible, go to church, people often hear things I don't intend. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying, when I say read your Bible this year, or pray this year, or go to church this year, I'm not saying do these things so that you can get in good with God. There is a way to get in good with God. This is not the path to it. I think what will kill your Bible reading program potentially quicker than anything is if you think this is getting in good with God. That's not what I'm saying when I say read your Bible. I'm also not saying do these things so that you can grow, learn, be comforted, comforted, or get equipped. I've been reading the Bible daily for a long time. I think all of those things are true for me most days. My hunch is that you will experience almost all of those on a regular basis. But that's not even what I'm saying when I say read your Bible. It's actually far more urgent and far more vital than those things. Do you see that those things you can kind of pick and choose? You're like, yeah, I'll do that or I won't do that. I say read your, your Bible and pray so that you can stay alive. That's actually what I'm saying. Read your Bible and pray so that you can stay alive. You see, Bible study and prayer are eating and breathing. That's really what I'm saying when I say that. 
Think about this. A doctor might tell you to do these kinds of things, eating and breathing. It's not because you've forgotten that you should do those, right? Of course not. But a doctor might say something about eating and breathing, not because you forgot or need to know that you should be doing it, but because your health shows you that in some way you are neglecting the fundamentals. So a doctor might come and tell you to do these things and everything else will improve. Change your diet and then we'll talk about the sort of nuances of the other things that ail you. But if you don't change how you eat, it doesn't matter anything else that we do way down here on the chain, you have to change your diet. You have to change your lifestyle. Think about this. I told my wife to breathe to, to breathe on several occasions. When? It was when I was beside her bed and she was doing the heavy lifting of labor, but I had to remember all that breathing stuff, right? That was my job. So I would look at my wife and I would say, breathe, you know, breathe with me. And so we would practice our breathing. That's what I got relegated to, breathing coach. Like here, you teach people how to breathe. It's not because my wife didn't know she needed to breathe. She understands that quite clearly. But sometimes, think about this church, Sometimes you get into a position in your life where it's so traumatic, it's so difficult, it's so painful that to have a loved one, to have a friend come alongside and just say, come here, take my hand, let's just breathe. Let's just breathe together. Sometimes that's the scenario with Bible study and prayer. As Christians, we can do that for one another. Often parents must tell a little red-eyed, um, sobbing toddler or child or 18-year-old, here, eat a sandwich. But I'm not And you shove it in. What happened? Hangriness has taken over, right? And that child is so hungry and so over-hungry, they don't even know they're hungry. They need to be told to eat. Isn't it a miracle what a meal can do sometimes? A meal at our home. You register things before the meal and just after the meal. And it's amazing what a meal can do. There's healing in eating. Sometimes we just need to be told to breathe or to eat. I want each of you this year to read the best author the world has ever known. And I want you to do it every day so that you can live. Now, we all know this, of course, but God wrote two books, right? Psalm 19 talks about this. God wrote two books. Now, the first is creation. Think about creation. Creation takes absolutely no training to read, and it takes no translation to read creation. Isn't that amazing? No special training, no translation. Every culture, every age, every person can learn to read creation. Now, it does take paying attention. To read creation, it takes paying attention. Eli and I went on a bike ride the last day of the year, and as we were pedaling around, part of our time was spent reading. So as we're biking along, we are setting our minds on the beauty and the creativity and the variety that God had to offer us. And it was really spectacular. It was a lot of fun just riding around, thinking about the book of creation. On the first day of the year, that would be yesterday, um, we went speed reading. If you ever want to speed read, you jump on a motorcycle and you do the same thing. You just cruise around creation and we were reading, but it was all going by a lot quicker. So very exhilarating. Get your heart pumping both ways, right? Um, But those are ways to just sort of take the everyday, open your eyes and pay attention. Now look to the person on your left or right, uh, front and back, If you're online, uh, just look at me. Hi. Um, What you just saw was part of creation. God created you, right? So part of reading creation is reading people. In fact, I would say this. I would say if you give yourself to God, we just sang this, he will lead you in love to those around you. What's God up to? Look to your neighbor. He's up to them. He's up to what's going on in their life. What's going to last forever? The books of God. People. 
So as you pay attention to people, that's the work of love, is that you really stop and pay attention, that you're really present with people. So part of God's creation, part of God's book is people. And if we say we love God, the scriptures say, then we must read people because we love them. All right, what's the second book God wrote? It may be the one that comes to most people's minds. It's called the Bible, right? And the book of the Bible is, of course, really a library of a bunch of books. How many books are in the library of the Bible? 66. That's a good number to know. So when you hold in your hand the Bible, you are reading the world's best author in print. That's a really stunning, amazing thing. You know, it's my job to train up my children. It's my job to protect my children, prepare my children, to comfort my children, and to love them really, really well. Nothing expands my reach as a dad who is called to equip and provide for my children in that way. Nothing expands my reach than doing everything in my power to instill in them a love and habit of reading God's word. And not just reading it, heeding it, paying attention to it, internalizing it. So much of what I'm going to say this morning, we've already had these conversations as a family. We've already talked about this. In homes all around our church, these conversations are ongoing. Kids, it's quite possible you will hear from my mouth the very things that your parents have said to you. Some of you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You didn't have this modeled for you, but now God has handed you this immense treasure called life in him. And then he's entrusted you with these precious gifts called children. And so you're called to do these things. You're called to train up and to love well and to protect and provide for these kids growing up. Nothing will expand your reach by like teaching them and training them to love and read the Bible and heed the Bible every day. Think about this. When my kids leave my house each day, God's wisdom goes with them. And when my kids leave my house for good, God's wisdom and comfort and, and show us who you are, God, all of that goes with them. The Everyday Bible series that I did last year for a month, I challenged in every way I knew how to do this. Give yourself to the Bible. And I say give yourself to the Bible because like all good things, it requires some effort. You want to read creation? It's not that hard to open your eyes and go, cool, a sunset. But you want to read the creation of people? That requires effort. It requires giving yourself to it. We don't always feel like it. Some of us aren't really naturally gifted at doing that. Giving yourself to the Bible, and listen to this, here's what you get in return. You get God in return. Give yourself to the Bible so that you can get God. So I brought up that point because of this. The goal is getting to know the author of the book, not to get the book, right? The goal is to get the author and his heart and his program and his word of reality, not just to memorize and know a book. Many, many people today and many people through the centuries have memorized far more scripture than any of us in this room will ever memorize and missed the central message of the Bible. They never got the author. God is a person that you can get to know, and as you get to know God, you learn to trust him. God is a person that you could actually get to know, and when you get to know God, what you understand about God is this, he is trustworthy. Our songs in various ways this morning have already been saying this. You wouldn't build your house on something unless it was a firm foundation, unless it proved trustworthy. All these different ways that we've been singing it, we've been singing that, God, you are trustworthy. Great is your faithfulness. So get to know God, and you'll get to trust God. Look at our text this morning. Psalm 56, 4 says this, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? I want you to think for a moment, because I'm going to have you give some mental images for a minute. What would it look like 
to sort of lean back onto God and trust Him completely in some area of your life. I don't know about you, but we're, we're all holistic beings, but there's times when I'm doing review of my own life, when I'm marveling at my own soul, what I'm reaching for, what I'm not reaching for, what's going on in there. I sort of think of my life in different kinds of categories. And my hunch about every single one of us in this room is this, that there are areas of our life that we know for a fact we are not leaning very heavily into God, that we're not trusting very much in God, we're trusting in something or someone else, maybe our own effort. So here's a question you may want to jot down. I don't think this is even in your notes. But what is that place that you are holding on to and not trusting? And maybe to kind of give you a vision of hope, what would it look like to lay down that trust in yourself, self-reliance, and to lean wholly on God? Let me ask a real question where I want real answers back, okay? Shoot up your hand so I know that who's talking and we can kind of pull your mask off so we can hear who's talking. But does anyone have a mental image of what it might look like to trust in God? What comes to your mind when, when you think about here's what it looks like to trust in God? Anyone have any thoughts or things that sort of pop into their minds that might be helpful to, to the rest of us? What is it? Parachute jumping, okay? Yeah. And where's the trust there? In the equipment, in the parachute. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And if that thing fails in some way, you're in a lot of, a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's great. Parachute. What else? Bless. Marriage. Okay, how so? Trusting God daily. Like in, in the marriage, to make the marriage work, to make it work in a way that glorifies and honors God. Love it. Yeah. Okay, what else? What does it look like to trust in God? Okay. Uh huh. When you have a situation that's out of your control and you have to trust in God uh, that, that, that He will take care of it. Yeah. Let me tell you something from my vantage point that I can see super, super clearly. Every single one of you is sitting kind of restfully in a chair, right? No one's struggling or wrestling with that. They're, you're just sitting there. In fact, some of you look really comfortable, like I may need to come tackle you and make sure you don't fall asleep this, this sermon. You're, you're trusting in the chair, right? Here's an image that kind of came to my mind this week. Raise your hand if you've ever been repelling. Raise your hand if you've been repelling before. Okay. How many of you will never, ever go repelling? Raise your hand. How many of you are confused about what repelling is? Okay. So here's, re- here's repelling. I love this stuff. This stuff's really fun to me. I like watching this guy named Bear Grylls. He takes people out and does things in the wilderness that seems really, really cool to me. Repelling is stepping into this nylon harness that feels really, really uncomfortable and weird. In fact, we just did this on the men's retreat. Who was with me on the men's retreat doing the high ropes course at Mount Hermon? Uh, we had a group of us. It was really fun. I know Brandon was there as well. You step into this harness and you, um, you, you click into a rope and you are holding this rope, and you step off over a sheer ledge of some variety of height. And here's what you can see really clearly. In fact, Chuck was down on the ground watching all of us in the high ropes course. I don't know if it was a lack of faith or what it was with Chuck going on, but that's, that was Chuck's vantage point. Kidding. Um, but you can see, can't you see really, really clearly those who are trusting the equipment and those who aren't? If you've ever seen someone new at repelling, here's what they do. They step off, and what do you need to do to repel well? You need to lean back. Nope, lean further. Nope, lean further. You need to lean so far back that you're like this. Your feet are on the wall, and you're way back. This doesn't feel natural right now. It doesn't feel natural when you're repelling. Here's how you can tell new people repelling. They are trying to help the situation. They're tense. They're not relaxed. 
It's super clear they're not trusting the harness or the rope or the whole process. Everything in their brain is saying, don't lean back. You know what's interesting? The more a person tries to help themselves repelling, the less effective it is. It's a very painful trip down. If someone is on belay and letting you down, you're sort of bouncing against a rock and having a hard time. You get down, you need a full body massage because you're super tense, you're sweating. It's just a nightmare. It's super easy to visibly look at and go, trusting, not trusting. And that's a picture of trusting God for me. I know there are places I've leaned completely back. I know I can trust the equipment. I know I can trust God. Do you know how much that rope is, is tested for? Like exponentially more than any of your body weight. It's crazy overqualified to hold you. Now here's where the metaphor breaks down. Equipment breaks, right? Who made this rope? How long has this harness been used? So there's a lot of factors that kind of go into that. But when you lean back wholly on God, it's actually just a really, really fun ride on the, on the way down. And you can sort of see visually that. So, so what about this verse that tells us to be anxious for absolutely nothing? You ever just find yourself worried? I pray your natural instinct is repentance. Not even God help me not to worry, but God, I'm sorry for worrying. I repent and renounce the activity of worrying. Worrying says, God, your faithfulness is not that great. God, your provision for me hasn't really proven trustworthy. Be anxious for nothing. Learn to trust God for everything. Man, that's really portable truth right there. Philippians 4, 6, by the way, that's, what, that's roughly what that is. So if the primary purpose of Bible reading is not to know the Bible, but to know God, giving ourselves to it is giving ourselves to what God has for us. God reveals himself in the pages of Scripture. He explains his character, his values, his plans. In the pages of Scripture, you will see what disgusts God and what God celebrates, what delights God. You'll learn what moves Him. You'll discover that God is authoring a story and that you and I are written into the story. If you take the Bible as a whole, the way that it's laid out, in fact, in our English Bible is this, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Fast forward all those 66 books to the very last one, the very last chapter, Revelation 22.5. They, the servants of God, reigned forever and ever. God is telling us a story. Let me show you this little video from uh, the guys over at the Bible Project. Super helpful. If you ever go to read uh, a book of the Bible, I do this when I prep for my sermons. I watch their little cartoon drawings of, of what's in 1 Timothy. It's about six minutes long, I think. And it sort of does this overview of, of the Bible. They have all kinds of topics, super great stuff. If you want to watch something worthwhile on YouTube, go to the Bible Project. But check this video out. For those of us who follow Jesus, we have a book. It isn't a theology book. It isn't a rule book. This book is a story. The story of God and humanity. A story Jesus said he was fulfilling. This book contains poems, riddles, letters, puzzling narratives, and new ideas. Yet, throughout it all, this book is full of the breath of God. For those of us who follow Jesus, this book is a treasure. This book is a tree of life. This book is a page turner. Turn the page with us. So when we talk about the Bible, if you want to talk about God's book of creation, stunning, right? You'll never get to the end of it. You, you just keep discovering and discovering and discovering. The Bible is the same way. 
In a powerful and profound way, the Bible is the same exact way. 66 books, 40 different authors, so many different walks of life, right? The authors in the Bible are kings down to shepherds and sort of everything in between. The Bible was written on the continents of Asia and Africa and Europe over a 1,500-year span. How many languages are represented in the Bible? Three. The Bible has three original languages. Now, with all of that, think about the probability that what you would have in those 66 books is a jumbled, contradicting mess. Don't you think the probability of that being the result is really, really, really high? And the probability that there's one cohesive story being told and that the pieces fit together more so as history goes along than less so is astronomically low. And yet that's what we find. The Bible is a cohesive story. One of the great powers, one of my children came to me yesterday and said, Dad, I just read about this today. Several of my kids started a new Bible reading program yesterday. And one of the great joys is this, instead of getting snippets of it, we've all heard snippets of the story. When you read something in context, you begin to go, no way, that fits in over here. And that actually doesn't mean what it says on that little embroidered thing that you hang on your wall at the Christian bookstore. That's not what that's even talking about. It's actually much grander and bigger than that. So reading the Bible for yourself is just so profound. The big overarching theme is a loving, reaching God on a rescue mission to sinners, bringing them back to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible is the most popular book by far? It's so popular that it never makes the top-selling list. It's a foregone conclusion. So the Bible is the most popular book ever in print, and it's by far the most controversial book that's ever been printed. It has been, is currently, and will be opposed. Think about this. God has given us all more treasure than we could possibly want or need. A friend of mine told me two days ago, about a guy his age, a friend of his, a guy that I know that passed away in two weeks, got a brain tumor, and he was gone in two weeks. And he kind of casually said this to me, kind of casually said he was a Christian. And I think he said, so he had that going for him. And I'm just thinking, that's everything. Like, if you have that going for you, you're good. So think about this. God has given us all equal access to his grace through the cross. Big or small, king or shepherd, literate, illiterate. The worst rebel you can possibly even get your head around and the cleanest living religious person you could possibly imagine. All of us have equal access to his grace through the cross. If you missed last Sunday, it was spectacular. It was so fun to take our placemats, come to the center of the table, and, and to find our place at the table. No placemat was above the other. None was below. We all have equal access to God's grace through the cross. That's immensely good news that ought to put a smile on your face every single day. Here's what's also profound. We also have equal access to his truth through his books. What books? The book of creation and the book of the Bible. We all have equal access to his truth through his books. The book of creation is ever-present and needs no translation. What can mere man do to you? What if... What if the government comes and takes all our Bibles? That's happened many, many times in history. It's happening right now. Well, A, I hope we've hidden some of God's word in our hearts. I quoted scripture last night. I was up with a dog that has bad bowels. We'll just leave it at that because he steals things off of our counter that we don't want him to eat. I was at 318. By the time I got back to bed, like some of you, don't get old, kids. 
It's hard to fall back asleep. I wasn't worried. I wasn't stressed. I didn't have to write a sermon. There was just nothing on my mind. So I just began to quote scripture with the light off. How do you do that? (laughs) You just memorize it. You set your mind on it. You think about it. So the book of creation needs no translations with us always. And the book of the Bible has been prepared and preserved by a God who's big enough to control his message. So if, if the government takes all of our scripture away from us, we still have the books of God with us. You know, the gospel is a lot of things. Sort of like a diamond that you could kind of look. I saw in that video just sort of this, this short shot of a, of a diamond, just sort of all the different prisms, all the different ways you could look at it. Do you want to know a really simple explanation of the gospel? It's this. In the gospel, here's what we have. We have been made friends with Jesus. Friends with God through Jesus. That might be a better way to say it. We're friends. In becoming friends with Jesus, we break free from our captor. Who holds us enslaved from birth? The world, the flesh, the devil. There's three categories. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are ex-lovers that we all thought at one time were our friends. We were duped into trusting them. We were duped into following them. But Jesus changes all of that. Through the miracle of God's love, Jesus turns rebels into friends and even servants into friends. Remember the older brother from the prodigal son? He was a servant. He had a servant mentality. I've been doing all this stuff for you, God. The love of Jesus turns a servant into a friend. And what comes with friendship is the changed nature of communication. Think about everyone that you would consider a friend. The communication changes as the relationship changes. Jot down John 15, 15. That's what this verse is talking about. Jesus talking. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So church, I pray in 2022 that afresh or for the first time, the Bible would become a precious message from a friend to you. A precious letter from a dear friend. The Bible is more than a rule book, a manual for ethics, or a checklist for Christ. It's actually kind of all those things, but it's way more than those things. It's also a mirror, a love letter, a warning sign, a morsel of chocolate. That got some of your attention. What? What? A call to arms, an engine light, a comforting blanket. You can truly enjoy your Bible because of this. In giving yourself to reading it, understanding it, living it, you're getting God in the process. As Christians, we all radically alter our lives to ensure that we are reading the Bible daily, understanding it correctly, and then just living accordingly. It's not enough that someone else does this. Because of this, a huge part of the growth is in the search and discovery process for yourself. That's a huge part of the growth. Last year, I resurrected a little illustration that I think I did probably in youth ministry years and years ago, and I've had at least three people over the last year remember this, come back to me, and and point it out. What I did up here was I stood up here, and I opened a banana, and I chewed it up, and I spit out chewed up banana. And then one of you, I offered chewed up saliva baby food mush on one side, or a fresh banana in the peel on the other side. And fortunately, no one got grossed out because whoever it was chose the banana and the peel. Unless you're a baby or really bizarre, you always choose the banana and the peel, right? Now, here's what's funny. People, sometimes an illustration works against you. I think people remember that. Remember when you spit up the banana? Yeah. Do you have any idea what I was talking about? No, but that was gross. 
Don't ever do that again. I almost gagged. Well, that was the point. Here was the point of that illustration is that eating it yourself, doing the actual peeling the banana and actually eating it is what we grow on to maturity to do. The ones who sustain on previously chewed up food are infants, appropriately so. Many Christians are anemic, tired, super clouded and confused, crazy tired, and they can't figure it out. Here's what it is. They are living their life on supplements. Imagine taking a one-a-day vitamin every morning and then you know, having an IV drip, I guess, wandering around with a pole and an IV drip. And that's your sustenance for the year. That's a picture of what it looks like to live on dietary supplements. Those things are great when you need them. But the human body, the healthy human body is meant to eat and we all know that part of the enjoyment even of it is to smell your food as you bow your head in thanks. Stop and like take that in. Look at the company around you. As you're chewing your food, you're actually starting the process of benefiting from it. All of that, every bit of that translates to you digging into Scripture and reading it for yourself. Hebrews 5.11 says this, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. This is why you have to give yourself to Scripture. There's parts in it's just hard to explain. How about your life? Is your life hard to explain? Yeah. There's stuff sitting in front of you right now. I, it's hard to explain. I don't even know which way to go. Our title image this morning is a maze because that's how much of life looks. But we don't have this perspective. We have the, the hedge only. And there's just full of choices. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's just an incredibly important line in all of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you always go to your favorite podcaster, always go to your pastor, always go to that really wise friend who reads the Bible for himself or herself, then you aren't having your powers of discernment trained, are you? You're eating chewed up banana from someone else. You're leaning on someone else's learning and discovery. Church, you will mature as you feed on God's word directly. It's the process God has chosen. Let me wrap up with some really hopefully practical things helps to get you going or maybe helps to keep you going. Here's number one. Number one is start now. When's the absolute best time to start reading and applying the Bible? You're right. Yesterday, years ago. That's when. (laughs) When's the second best time if you haven't been doing it? Today, right now. Lucas is right. God doesn't lean on a calendar, but a turn of a calendar helps us think in fresh ways. What's going to be different in 2022? Man, I used to give myself to the Word of God. Where did that habit go? I got too comfortable. I got too fat and lazy, either physically or spiritually or financially. I'm going to get back to it. So start today. If you want apples, the best time to plant a tree is a long time ago in some other season. But the second best time is right now. Get it going. Don't wait for the ideal time, by the way, or when you find time. Isn't it amazing how little you find time? You can look for it, look for it, look for it. You never find it. What do you do? You take time. You steer time. You budget time. You say, God gets this first. Here's a challenge for you. Some of this, this will be monumental if this happens. Before you look at a single screen... 
to watch anything, to check any post, to do anything. Before you do any of that, you hear directly from God through his word. Well, Dave, what if my Bible app's on my phone? Okay, fine. Look at that screen. Before you look at any screen that doesn't have God's word on it, just, just start your day with the Bible. That might revolutionize your life. So take time. Here's the second one. Start with prayer. Due to the heart being so important, it's possible that what you do before you open your Bible is as important as reading the Bible in in, in the first place. So what does that look like? Well, it may be this. Here's here's something I do regularly, probably every day. I physically take a deep breath in. I sigh. I sit. I'm often like this, and I just say this. I am a beloved child of God. Build your life on the love of God. It is a firm foundation. You will be stunned, Genesis to Revelation, how much God is driving this home. You're loved. That always keeps me from reading the Bible because I'm a pastor. Reading the Bible because I sinned last week. Reading the Bible to get in good with God. Reading the Bible because I really, really, really want this prayer to come true. Nonsense. I'm a beloved child of God. Whew, I'm just leaning back in the, in the rebelling thing. That's a great prayer before you start reading. It takes all of five seconds. You may linger on that for five minutes. I'm a beloved child of God. God, I just want to be near you. I want to delight in you, and I want to receive you delighting in me. Do you know that God adopted you into his family if you're a Christian by faith in Jesus because he wanted to? Man, let that sink in and wash over you. Not just at church, but daily. A second prayer might go something like this. God, you are with me in this, so help me, please. I'm learning to trust in you. Today, would you just give me something out of your word as I I start to read? God's with you in this. We'll keep going. All right, number three, celebrate what works for you. Here's what I know in my home. We have lots of different personalities in our home. And what works for dad doesn't exactly work for mom. And what works for each of our kids is not uniform. So celebrate what works for you. Some of you love and need a checklist. I love a checklist. Some seasons, checklist people might get into works and Pharisee and, I did checklists. You probably need to lay down your checklist because that checklist seems really important to you. Go just just read for the sheer pleasure of saying, God, I just want to hear from you. Some of you are like, that's me every day of the year. I just delight in God. Have you ever read the whole Bible? I don't think so. How much do you read? No idea. Why is your Bible so dusty? I don't know. I'm just delighting God. You might need a checklist. So when I say celebrate what works for you, it doesn't mean do what you like. Do what you like. Think about what you like to eat. If you only like to eat bad things, bad things come from that. Psalm 119, 18 says this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Different ones of us kind of come together on that. You may love or hate plans. You may love or hate digital versions. You may love or hate journaling But man, those are all kinds of tools. Here's what I want to call you to as a community group. Share your wisdom with each other. A huge habit for me as a young Christian was going up to people I respected and I just said, hey, what do you do for your quiet time? I didn't try to mimic exactly what they did, but I got lots of input. How do you connect with God? How do you stay engaged in the Bible? How does it not, as a pastor, how does it not just become a a preaching book for you or work for you? How do you separate that? I asked lots of questions. I tried lots of different stuff. Over the years, I've had many different patterns. Finally, number four is remember to evaluate. Stop and ask how it's going. Ask God. The Spirit will teach you and guide you. Ask others further down the road from you. I go back to golf. When you play golf, if you hit a shank shot and you're serious about trying to get better at golf, you ought to think about what you just did. If you hit the same shank shot three times in a row, you might go, man, 
Someone stand over here. What am I doing? Is it my grip? Is it my plane? Am I standing too close to the ball, too far apart? Are my feet too far apart? What's happening? You don't just keep blindly going, and just sort of muscle your way through it. So stop and evaluate. Just see how it's going. Duplicate what's producing progress and correct what is causing shanks in your life. If you're taking notes, jot down these few resources. Some of us did a book, a little Advent study by a company called She Reads Truth, He Reads Truth. They have studies throughout the year. Part of why I love to commend these studies to people is it is, it's like the fruit juice, right? Like what's the percentage of actual fruit juice in there? Actual word of God in the He Reads Truth, She Reads Truth book is probably like 97%. So you're actually just getting a lot of scripture. And it's laid out for you and it kind of walks you through things. We just did an Advent one that lasted November-ish until January 2nd, today. There's more that that come along with that. That's one option. A second one um, is our long story short book. Some of you are already reading the scriptures. Your next step is teaching others, walking others through it. A third thing is reading plans. I'm a huge fan of the YouVersion Bible app. Um, If you don't have a device that that does it. You can do it online. It lives online. I've used that for years and years and years. It's an incredible Bible app. Some of you really struggle with the physical act of reading. You say, does it count if I hear it read? Of course. So you could hit play and have God's word just read to you. Talk about redeeming the time of your commute, right? Talk about redeeming what's going through the the earplugs into your, into your ear. And if all else fails, the Bible and the Spirit of God, right? That's what we have as Christians. We don't even need a Bible plan or anything like that. We have those two things. God will guide you in this. Most of the world through most of the history, that's the tool, the Scriptures and the Spirit of Christ. Matt, would you come on up? Listen, each week, uh, by the way, the community group questions are designed and intending to help you further what we're doing in here. We're opening our Bibles and we're learning to read it for ourselves, and we are praying it into our life to live accordingly. That's what the CG questions are designed to do. So one of the ways you can cooperate with the effort of your church is to stay in 1 Timothy and follow along. doesn't mean to the exclusion of other things, but that's a huge tool for you. Matt, you do the transition of why we're having you up here now. Yeah, I'm up here because uh, Dave was talking about uh, learning to trust in God, uh, right, and and delighting in God. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. And uh, this fall we were reading in Timothy, and it says uh, pray first, right? Like we just have this uh, command to be people of prayer. And so this year as we're beginning, we want to commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to being joyful people of prayer. And so we um, have a couple of different things lined up over this next year uh, to help us become a people uh, just committed to prayer, uh, that we might be known that way. And so uh, as we're looking to be focused and intentional about prayer, we're going to be doing a couple of different things. Some of them will be based off of the the calendar, right? Like when you go through Advent, uh, you're focusing on Advent. Easter, we'll focus on Easter. Uh, We'll also be looking at uh, the church calendar, um, just things that are coming up in the life of the church, as well as just things that are happening in our community. So we want to take the things that God's put before us um, and just kind of joyfully commit ourselves to praying through those things. So this month, uh, we're going to kick things off by having a weekly prayer prompt. Uh, And these prayer prompts are kind of based off of both what's going on in the life of the church as well as the church calendar. So next week, uh, what we're going to be praying for is we're going to be praying for the mission and witness of our uh, church. Um, So as we seek to be good neighbors, as we seek to love our neighbors in the world, that's what we're going to be praying through. The following week is Martin Luther King Jr. um, weekend, uh, so national calendar, right? It seems like a good opportunity for us to be praying for racial reconciliation, racial harmony. Um, And so we'll be praying around those themes. The following week is uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we'll be praying around uh, the themes of the sanctity of life. We'll be praying for those who have been impacted by abortion. We'll be praying for our elected leaders who are making important decisions. And then on uh, January 30th, we'll be praying for... uh, 
our families, for the children and the parents. Um, and we'll actually be introducing a prayer initiative that day, um, uh, prayer champions, and we'll be telling you more about that later. So just kind of intentional prayer um, every week this month. Uh, we invite you to pray along with us. It's in your sermon notes. It's at the very bottom um, of the community group questions. So you can uh, look at a couple of scriptures. And uh, for this week, uh, we have the prayer prompt. Uh, we, we give you two scriptures to be praying through. Uh, Psalm 56.4 familiar from today's uh, message, and then Psalm 22, 8. So just read through those and allow that scripture to inform your prayer. Uh, Dave, do you want to come up and uh, we'll talk through the, the two uh, prompts. So the first one is, God, I trust you to deliver me from, right? As we're looking at just different challenges that we're facing in this new year, this is a season where a lot of people uh, make New Year's resolutions. What are some things in your life that you need God to deliver you from? Uh, so that's one of the things that we're going to be praying for as a church this week. Yeah, so um, here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to actually just do this right here. Um, and what Matt has roped into as coming on staff is something that we've been doing for years and years and years, which, as you already know, is just a group of pastors that pray every single Wednesday. Um, and we just pray through the scriptures. And what we want to do right now is allow this prompt to sort of uh, inform it. So Psalm 22.8 is where these two prompts come, come from. So let me explicitly show you how to pray the scriptures into your life. Uh, much of prayer is just listening, right? It's a conversation. So much of prayer is just listening. We are going to collectively pray, uh, some out loud, some in their minds, some just listening, um, to, to Psalm 22.8. Psalm 22.8 says this, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Second part, let him rescue him for he delights in him. So our two prompts are, God, I trust in you to deliver me from. So right now, let's just go to prayer. If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. If you want to say it to God quietly yourself, say it quietly to yourself. So start the sentence that way. God, I trust you to deliver me from worry about the future. We're going to transition to God, I delight in you because. God, I delight in you because you keep your promises. God, I delight in you because you've shown us who you are. God, I delight in you because you are good. God, I delight in you because you are working things out for my good. And God, we delight in you for bringing us together uh, this morning on the first Sunday of the year. Amen. Uh, we're going to close this morning with the Lord's Prayer. We're just going to say that out loud. Uh, we thought, what a powerful thing to begin. Just again, turning up the heat in prayer in 2022 as a church collectively. So we're just going to recite the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church, you are dismissed. We're going to let that be our closing prayer.